and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that to combat people sleeping during church... Priests used to employ a sluggard waker who would walk around the congregation poking people awake with a very long stick. Brilliant. Yeah, this is an amazing thing. I was Fancy reading... that job, Andy? I think it sounds quite fun. Yeah. It does. You wouldn't it? make many friends, but you're not in the business to make friends. Are you? <laughs> oh, no. You're in the business to keep people awake listening to the sermon. Exactly. I reckon you'd be great at it. Yeah. Why? You've just got authority about you, and we all respect you so much. Oh, when you put it like that, I suppose, yeah, I will be a pretty... <laughs> you think I like correcting people for minor minor errors they've made. Yeah, and you really piss people off, so it sort of feels... <laughs> You're not losing anything, you know, people... I've but... already got zero status in this society. Yeah, the I'm congregation dis- don't like you anyway. I'm disliked enough that it doesn't matter if I'm... Yeah. And you always walk around with a massive stick. Prod mm, yes. people with it. Actually, that's an even better reason. Yeah. <laughs> How long was the stick? Do we know? Well, in some cases, they'd be 10 feet long because you've got long pews, don't you? You've got very mm. long pews. So if you've got someone at the end oh. of a pew and you need to reach them, you've got your stick needing to. That's have the that. Slugger saying, isn't it? I would touch him with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read about this in a book that I was checking out called Old Church Life by a guy called William Andrews. And it's a, ve- it's a very old book and it's full of really odd, quirky little nuggets about the church back in the day and so these people would be paid good money to go around well money well but money yeah yeah they were paid i think i think (laughs) think they were the wealthiest most high status people in society but yes they weren't although some of them were given a small amount of land to live on near the church nice Uh, and in one case uh, there's a place called yule grave in the midlands and they had one who was entitled to a hat as well as the small wage (laughs) and then one in wakefield who also got hats shoes and hoses well, there you like go. That's wow. part of the job. Wow. They turned Sleepfield into Wakefield. Brilliant. That was what they had on their badge. <laughs> it, is, it is a part-time job. You wouldn't expect it to pay a full salary. It's only when there's a sermon on, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But and some... often they did other things, other jobs as well, and that was just a bit of it. Um, but sometimes women got separate treatment and nicer treatment, mm. so sometimes they'd have a stick with a knob on one end and a little brush on the other, and as a woman you got a little tickle. Whereas yeah. a man, you got knobs around the face. <laughs> so. yeah. Everyday sexism. There's a guy yeah. called Obadiah Turner who uh, wrote a journal. He was from Massachusetts, living around 1640s, uh, and he in particular had a um, fox's tail on one side of his stick, uh, and on the other one he had a long thorn which he used to prick people. Ooh. So it wasn't just a little whack around the head. Wow. He actually stabbed you with it, Gosh. and he said there was someone called Mister Tompkins who fell asleep. Uh, and he pricked him with his long prick yeah. and the guy woke up and said Buster Woodchuck <laughs> Which... and apparently he'd been dreaming about a woodchuck biting his hand when actually you know when you're asleep and you kind of integrate the alarm into your dream yeah. yes. well that's what he'd done Was Do you... it, is, he, is he saying bastard woodchuck bus the woodchuck that's a good I, church I it's a good church appropriate swear swear yeah, yeah. You haven't it's said a minstoth isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think it was more or less annoying for the priest giving the sermon that rather than have people falling asleep quietly, it was just a constant cacophony of, ow, fuck, <laughs> bust the <laughs> <a> woodchuck. <laughs> That's what? a good point. I'm not sure it was about being annoyed so much as the people in the church are supposed to be listening to the word of God. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So who's got ultimate authority over this system? Is it the sluggard waker has autonomy and is allowed to basically stand at the front and see people falling asleep? Or does the priest have to say, there, Pew three, seat four. No, the, the priest is doing his gig. Yeah. You've got okay, yeah, okay. yeah, sluggards there to make sure it all goes smoothly. That's the skill of the job. Sure, it's the only skill of the job is spotting <laughs> the sleeping people. If this priest has to keep telling you, then you're being fired. Here's a person who needed a bit of skill. Uh, Betty Finch, who was a sluggard waker in Warrington. She was known locally as the Bobber because the way that she woke people up is she had a fishing rod 
and she had a little bob like a little weight on the end of her fishing rod and she used to swing it round and wake people up with, very the, deft. with the rod. She's... And if you did it repeatedly, she got a hook into your cheek and just reeled mm. you up. <laughs> <laughs> she was the only... I found a few names of the actual people given the job. She was the only woman with the job I found. So yeah. it feels like a very sort of male-dominated industry. Mm. Yeah, um, and as I said, they did often have other roles in the church, didn't they? One of them seemed to be dog whipping, yeah, which was yeah. an important thing to do because in church services in times of yore, and we we're talking about a long period of time Sluggard Wake has existed. I think yeah, yeah, sixteen hundreds, yeah, yeah. Um, so farmers would often, if they're going to church, they'd be like, "Well, I'm going to use this chance to bring all my sheep, sell them at market." So they mm. go sell the sheep at market go to church and they've got all their sheepdogs in church so mm. you've just got a bunch of sheepdogs running around so yeah the sluggard waker also whips the dogs out of the church during services well can we give the the proper name of this position the knock nobbler the knock <laughs> that really? that's the person who has to chase the dogs out of church distracting i would have thought that's <laughs> <laughs> like the benny hill show down there yeah. <laughs> um yeah the, no that's the knock nobbler or the dog noper that was another one um who just has to get in there and whip the dogs and they have special tools as well so the dog the dog whipper who might also be the sluggard waker was sometimes issued with a special set of tongs for those hard to reach dogs if oh, a dog yeah. had hidden in a, a, a crevice or something in the church You'd have to use the tongs. Yeah, I've seen um, those. We have been, this is really exciting, we've yeah. been somewhere which has a dog whipper's flat. Okay. A, f- a flat? Uh, a flat like an apartment. Oh, right. So, so we've been somewhere. Was it the Sydney Opera House? That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very late. Uh, really, when it was being built, they thought, let's just okay. No, it's uh, Exeter. We went to Exeter on tour last oh, yeah. year. Yeah. And um, Exeter's got a cathedral, a lovely cathedral, which I visited. Um, didn't see any of you guys there. Yeah. No praying. Uh, <laughs> well, we had confidence in our uh, research. We didn't really feel like we had to go and get help from the Almighty. I was all like, please, God, yeah. please. I just need, just need one good fact about lasagnas. Um, um, but it's not an actual apartment. It's a, it's a room. But it is a room. It's a really nicely placed room. So as you go into the cathedral, it's just above you there. Uh-huh. And it looks out onto the nave. It's a viewing spot, basically. Oh, so yeah. you can, you know, be on 24-hour shift looking for dogs in the cathedral. Well, and then you have to descend quickly as soon as you see a dog. Yeah, there's a pole. <laughs> you slide down it, yeah. Swing wow. on the zip line. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Do you think that's where whippets come from? Nope. They maybe were the worst behaved yeah. the whippets. And you needed to whip it yeah. often. Oh, really? No. Definitely the origin. (laughs) I think it did really used to piss priests off, by the way. I know we were saying, would they go through the... the, It it really did. And there was in in American Boston in the 1600s, there was such fury from a priest over there that he suggested that a cage be made so that you would drag the sleeping person into it and cage them up like a bird and just let them have to wake up and deal with that. And that was off the back of someone being woken up and in a rage attacking the sluggard waker um, or tithing man, as uh, they Tith- often called Tithing man, tithing man mm. as they're often called in America. Oh, they call that? Interesting. Why? Because yeah, the tithe sure. is the bit of your income you give to the church. Yeah. So yeah. A tenth of so your income. So probably as well as doing this, they collected the money. Yeah. They're actually very busy people, the Sluggard Wakers. Yeah. They yeah. also rang the curfew bell. Um, so we had in this country a curfew bell against early medieval times, okay. which was, I think the original aim of it was to keep people from having like rebellious, seditious meetings. Mm. Uh, but anyway, it was quite useful because it stopped fires because curfew literally coming from the French, I think to cover the fire, couvre-feu is like mm. time to cover your fires now. And it tended to be eight o'clock. And so at 8 p.m. every evening, then you'd have the curfew bell rung, which God, is like, cover early. your eyes and go to bed. It's early. It's Even really for early. Andy, who's like yeah. who's famously not a night owl, <laughs> no, you wouldn't a... want to have to be in at 8 o'clock every day. Even I normally make it to the watershed at 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Watch half an hour rude TV, <laughs> straight to bed. <laughs> Praying for your sins of watching it afterwards. Um, have you guys heard of the role of the beggar banger? Beggar banger. banger. The beggar banger. Yeah. No. Oh, no. What's that? It's not as exciting as it sounds. Uh, it's someone who was responsible for controlling the length of stay of any unwanted strangers in oh, the parish. Okay. okay. They were known okay. as the beggar banger. Was that employed by the church? Because that's not a very church, churchy, welcoming mm. thing to do. As a church, you are supposed to embrace particularly beggars and paupers, well, aren't you? Uh, charity has its limits, Anna. And I you suppose. know, <laughs> as Jesus said. <laughs> uh, do you guys, um, are you guys aware of Acts of the Apostles, um, chapter 20, verse 7 to 12? 
can you just they are start, the start me off and I'll, I'll okay keep, so paul yeah. was preaching oh yeah okay and he was preaching he's doing this speech and it's a very long speech uh and there's a guy called eutychus uh and eutychus was listening but it was a really really boring speech so he fell asleep in the middle of saint paul's preaching uh, and as he fell asleep, he fell out of a third floor window and died. <laughs> oh. oh, So no. this is what the Bible says will happen to you if you fall asleep while someone's preaching. And was that's he... why churches are always on the ground floor now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you get very few on the top of skyscrapers. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking a third floor window is pretty is a risky place to risk falling asleep. Well, quite. Yeah. Um, probably don't sit there if St. Paul's doing a sermon. <laughs> uh, anyway, luckily, Paul went down, uh, picked him up brought him upstairs and said oh don't worry he's fine uh even though everyone could see he was <laughs> dead but then a bit later he did come back alive oh wow. any more explanation on that he just it's the bible dan that's the kind of thing that happens yeah, in the bible zombies very common <laughs> i read this book have you guys heard of pew openers as a job no. no a pew opener was someone who basically was an usher he would collect you at the front he would walk you to your pew and they used to have little doors and he would open up the door and he would allow you to not have to do that on your own and he got paid a very minimal amount for doing that and you could also pew rent so you could rent the actual row that you wanted you know it was con he was a concierge kind of That's character quite interesting because if you go to church you'll find that the same people every week go to the yeah. same church right and yeah. they all tend to sit in the same places and if a new person comes into the church and sits in one of those places there are eruptions do you think the pew opener would say excuse me <clears throat> i think that's yeah. actually where madam because yeah. you certainly in i imagine he did this mostly for the wealthy families they would have their own yeah. pews where they mm -hmm. would sit yeah and he'd be the one guiding them well, to uh, them have you guys ever been to a church with a, a box pew system no, those are good so it's you know pews are in rows normally yeah. and some yeah. church some uh georgian and earlier churches would have box pews so it's kind of a little pen that you so sit in the murrays don't have to sit with the riffraff <laughs> well you know or any any surname any family yeah yeah uh any family of good standing no no, no but that was a <laughs> um we once did an ostentatious photo shoot in a church which had those that was right. very very interesting that's what they were made for yeah. <laughs> um do you know someone else whose job it was to guide you to your seat could be would be the deaconess and the deaconess was seems to be one of the only official church church jobs you could get as a woman and from like really early church Ooh. time and basically so one of her jobs would be to guide you to your um to your pew another job would be like you'd help distribute communion you could take communion to people in the community who couldn't make it to church and they were basically ordained and the the reason they came into being really was to stop male church officials from seeing naked women so their oh, initial really? job was baptism because ah, okay. yeah because baptism was almost what? always adults then right um, and it was you'd always get your kit off you got your kit off you went into a river and oh. it was very improper for a male priest to be seeing accompanying women into the water yeah. sure. so that would be her job she'd undress the woman hold the veil up so none of the clergy could see oh. go into the water with her baptize her pop out again that's awesome do you guys know what a pedo-baptist is? Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, that's someone uh, who baptises children? Yeah. yeah. It's, you're very close. It's someone who believes in baptising children. Um, yeah, there's a big divide in the church between huh? pedo-baptists and, and credo-baptists. Did they have John the Baptist and John the pedo-baptist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Only one of them's made it to the big time, hasn't wow. he? <laughs> what was the other? Credo-baptist. Credo-baptist. And they're people who believe that you should only be baptised once you have been able to come to an adult understanding because of God on your credo own. Because credo is Latin for I believe, right? Yeah. And oh. so the idea is that you can say yourself that you believe that as opposed to a child who doesn't really understand it. what it all means. What have they done to deserve Well, baptism? I always... I, I we thought it was just about protecting them to get into heaven so ah that's interesting because it seems like hannah and i are credos yeah but dad <laughs> yeah. it sounds from what you're saying big old pedo <laughs> <laughs> interesting wow. i've never heard those those terms oh, no. no i don't think they get bandied around actually <laughs> no, i don't know why <laughs> i said i'm a credophile <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that the Queen of France once pranked a girl at court by secretly taking in her clothes to make her think she was pregnant. 
This is just harsh? great. Yeah, pretty mean. Um, this is this great, <laughs> great story from the memoir of Hortense Mancini. And she was one of the Mancini sisters who was so fun. But um, her uncle was a guy called Cardinal Mazarin, who was the closest person to the royal family in France, really. And Cardinal Mazarin decided that he would start teasing his six-year-old niece, that's the thing. That's the thing. You, you hear this fact and you think, oh, it's a clever prank to play on someone who's probably, what, 20 or maybe yeah. a teenager. It's on a six-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what makes it so funny. So uh, there's this girl called Marianne who's six-year-old and she's the person who's writing the account Hortense. It's her little sister. And Cardinal Mazarin says, hey, you've got an admirer and he's got you pregnant, hasn't he? And then they would take her clothes away and secretly take them in so they got tighter and tighter so she thought that she was pregnant. And the whole court got in on this gag. You know, it was just hilarity for everyone it's at court. isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, oh, look, it's a fine line, isn't it, between are you laughing yeah. with her or laughing at her? It's a fine line, and I think they crossed it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the Queen, it was Anne of Austria, and she was the Queen Mother at that time. She had been married to King Louis, and then she'd been the Queen Regent, so she was referred to as the Queen. Um, she turned up by the six-year-old's bedside, consoled her, said, gosh, yes, you are a pregnant, aren't you? And then they planted a live infant in her bed, yeah, which this, we think was a baby of one of the servants. This is next level, I think. Yeah. This is Jeremy Frank. Beadle level. This is crazy level. <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. And then what happened next? Um, well, the queen offered to be the godmother, said, well done you. Um, and then I think they probably at some point came clean. I don't think they made her raise the child. I think the person whose child it was would have... Um, Objected. Well, they asked her who the father was, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. And she said it could only either be the king or the Comte de Guiche. Yes. Uh, because they were the only ones who she'd kissed. Yes. And she was like, that's quite sweet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although the Comte de Guiche was a known absolute playboy. So. Mm. Right, um, right. She wouldn't have known that. She's six. She, she, she's yeah, six. Yeah, yeah. He just gave a little kiss on the cheek. I quite like this in the memoirs from Hortense, who was three years older than her at the time, so she would have been nine. And she said, she was very proud to know the truth of the matter and I never tired of laughing about it just to show that I knew it. Which is such a relatable thing when you're a slightly older sibling doing that over-the-top laughing to be like, yeah, yeah, I get, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah kissed. <laughs> Please don't do this kind of thing to me. I feel like an idiot. I was looking up um, pregnancy pranks. Oh yeah, and there yeah, aren't cool. there aren't many good ones. No, it's mostly pranks that you, uh, if you're pregnant, can pull on people around you. Oh right, uh, it's yeah. not like because you could sort of throw a water balloon at someone in the night and then they think their waters are broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one. That's one. If you <laughs> if you're pregnant, you could walk around with like a doll hanging between your legs, so it looks as if. <laughs> Yeah. Right, mm. you've given birth without noticing. Yeah, yeah. These are all about the level of the ones I found. <laughs> um, the only one I found that was any good potentially was using your pregnancy to help someone else with their pregnancy prank, where you can pee on their pregnancy test. Oh yeah, oh. it will come up as a yes. Yes, right. And then yeah. she'll be able to say to whoever, you know, oh, that's look, really I'm, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing that men don't really know much about pregnancy tests, so you could literally probably just take a vape and draw a line on it and yes. say, hey, look, I'm pregnant. <laughs> You can take You're a take a right. COVID uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> test. I'm not pregnant, but you do have COVID. So, um, <laughs> um, this book is it was published in 1675, and I guess at the time it's sort of quite sort of timely. We're talking about it. It's sort of the Prince Harry memoir of its day to yeah. an extent because it was very much a what an amazing attempt to make this book relevant to <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no, but it just totally is. It just on... totally is. Who's yeah. this hot Hortense? Yeah, yeah. Hortense. Yeah, Did she get a prosperous and penis? She. <laughs> well, she. Um, no, this was this was the first time that you know this is someone who was amongst the royals. She was almost basically a queen at one point, mm. um, and it was a book that was published when women weren't really writing books either about their personal life and so when it came out it was it was a huge bit of news it was it was and it was scandalous yeah. and she filled it with gossip it yeah. was it would have been like with prince harry's book coming out everyone going oh wow you've actually said that god cool Ooh, wow um, 
I've I've never heard of her prior to reading up on this, but she wrote her autobiography, and then a couple of years later, her sister wrote her autobiography as well. Mm-hmm. And as you say, they led just an incredibly interestingly bizarre, fun but also quite tragic life. Um, they were in marriages which were very unloved and which fell apart. They had to flee the country from time to time because of um, being exiled as a result of their dubious uh, affairs and so on, and their husbands being furious. Um, it's it's a real rollicking adventure. Well, let's quick mentioned this husband that she had in France yeah. mm. who appears to have been slightly unhinged oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. he believed that milkmaids shouldn't touch cow's udders in case they became aroused by well, them th- yeah there are a couple of accounts of this this is this just let's give his name he's called Armand Charles de la Porte de la Meilleray Right, yeah. that was his name and he was incredibly rich wasn't he like, he was he was super. like the richest man in Europe pretty much yeah um, and he so I read that account that he was worried about milkmaids finding yeah, yeah. milking sexy. But then I read another account saying he worried that men might get aroused by the sight of milkmaids doing yeah. their milking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Either I way. I actually think not, Hortense didn't write about any of these things, um, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, these all came from a guy called Abbe de Choisy, huh. um, who was... He wrote his memoirs and they came out after he died. And they're all about the story of how he went to live in the countryside in France, pretended to be a woman and seduced a load of young girls. Um, and he apparently what? was friends with Perrault, who wrote a lot of fairy tales. So we think actually a lot of it might not have been true. Oh, okay, but he right. was the one who wrote all this stuff about this crazy guy. And he was basically the idea with Armand Charles was that he was incredibly pious, wasn't he? And very religious and imposed really strict rules like that. So he thought everyone was going to be aroused all the time. Um, Did things like he had a collection of priceless works of art that he'd inherited. And in fact, from Cardinal Mazarin. Mm. um, And he went around knocking all their genitals off because he thought the genitals were improper. You know, he'd slash tapestries, he'd painted black bits of penis and balls and nipple on various paintings. And there there are so many different accounts. So one of the things I read is that he did that specifically because he was worried that she, Hortense, was going to get aroused by them. Um, To be fair, she did have quite a few affairs. She did, she had a time. She had a time. She She was even around. And she almost (laughs) married Charles II, when I mentioned before that she almost became queen. So Cardinal Mazarin, who was sort of, he he was their uncle and he was very much uh, taking them around town and trying to set them up and arrange marriages. Charles II met Hortense, fell in love with her and thought, I've got to marry her, made the offer. And he said, no, because Charles II was in exile. And he said, no, you've got, you know, you got your name, but you've got no money. You've got no title. I don't know your prospects. And so he denied it. And then only a few months later, even weeks Charles II suddenly is restored back as king mm. and so Mazarin Classic. comes running back saying actually Hortense <laughs> would love to take your offer and he says nah I'm afraid that's not going to happen it's such a shame yeah this could have been a queen of England yeah, yeah. Been. Um, they did hang out in England Hortense definitely fled to England and spent a lot of time at court and she was super fun livened the whole place up and they were the, the thing is they were this Italian family and we should say they were called the Mazarinettes and there were seven of them all together and they were the seven nieces of the cardinal and they all looked quite different. They were dark-skinned when everyone was very pale-skinned. They looked similar to each other, but different to normal different other people. Different to normal noble women, yes, mm. who were all very pale. Um, they all seemed to have the same name. There were two Lauras, <laughs> two Anne-Marie's, and one Marianne, which is quite confusing. Mm. Um, but yeah, they were fun, and Hortense especially. So at one point when she ran away from Armand Charles, she ended up in a convent, or I think she was put in a convent to try and make her behave. But she became best friends with this woman called Mademoiselle de Corcel, who maybe she was in a relationship with or had a little fling with. Maybe they were just really close friends. And they sort of played practical jokes on the nuns quite a lot. They all thought they were pregnant. They, oh. yeah. <laughs> I promise I haven't had sex, all the nuns. Um, yeah, she did things like she filled two chests with water and apparently the water leaked through onto the nuns' beds. But she had this really cool adventure in the <laughs> convent where her husband came to try and kidnap her away when he found she was misbehaving. And her and Mademoiselle Corsell found, it's like the stuff of fantasies, they found a little hole in a grate in the parlour which they could just squeeze through to escape. Mm. And so they squeezed through this grate and they climbed out to the outside. And then they actually realised it was a false alarm and their friends were visiting, not her husband. This right. is the story of the sound what? of music. <laughs> this is... <laughs> 
<laughs> there are baddies, you're it. in a convent, you're squeezing through a gate. Yep. Come on. Yep. Um, oh. Well, then they squeezed back in because they were like, God, we're going to look stupid. It's just our mates. And she got stuck in this grate between two iron bars <laughs> for about 20 minutes. And Mademoiselle Corsell had to like tug her out. And then they ended up covered in soot on the parlor floor, snogging. No, I've, I've, I've embellished some of the ending. But um, yeah, it sounds fun. After she died, her husband um, caught up with her and um, had wanted actually to, to repatriate her for ages. but It's so much easier to catch up to with someone after they die. Well, it? exactly. It yeah, really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he caught up with her. He got, he got her, her body. Yeah. He put it in a sealed coffin. Great, fair play. You know, it's what you're meant to do. Yeah. And then he just like carried it around Europe on a sort of weird posthumous honeymoon yeah. to all the places they had been together in life yeah. um, for four months. Yeah, Long wow. time. And then eventually he left her in a country churchyard and then and then eventually when he died later they were buried next to each other i don't know how she would have felt about that and then during the revolution they got chucked in the sand yeah yeah so it has a an unhappy ending not if you're the people (laughs) (laughs) obviously andy you know i'm a big fan of the aristocracy Um, i read an article that she introduced champagne to britain Yes, I read that. Yeah. yeah. I think popularized. Popularized. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, she, she was fun. Oh, my God. Then this is the most fun thing about her. I did all this reading and then finally, at the end, find this one article which talks about this extraordinary saloon that she opened up in the 17th. I think salon. I think a saloon is a Wild West <laughs> yeah. bar. Oh, is it not a saloon? It's a no, salon. No. All the ladies in London used to come, didn't they? They had to leave their guns at the door. Yeah. Yes. And had those swinging doors yeah, and the piano yeah. player that would stop when, when Hortense walked in. That's it. Yeah. Um, uh, so we're calling it Salon, shall we? Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's go with Salon for the let's moment. Let's call it for that. Yeah. Because it was kind of French, so let's say saloon, but with a French angle like Salon. Go. So let's land on Salon. Um, I mean, that's that's definitely that's what they're called. It's like salons, yeah. very popular Salon. in those days. Yeah, have salons. Yeah, so she she ran this. Let me get to the fucking facts. She, seventeenth <laughs> century London. She had basically this extraordinary like book club that she ran next to St James's Palace, and mm. all the ladies who were encouraged not to do this to have intellectual conversation, to read books and discuss them with each other, to share their ideas, their philosophies, would go. They would drink champagne and they would do all this stuff together. And she was she was just such a the, the article describes her as an influencer of the time yeah, definitely um, the interesting thing was these salons were massive in france weren't they they're were like a huge thing in france at the time and all the middle class and upper class women would go to these salons and kind of learn things but she was the one who brought it to london yeah because um, it didn't exist here at the time Ooh. yeah you could you could say that really podcasts are the, the salons of the present day in what sense well we're discussing things we yep. allow we allow one woman on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's traditionally a male environment. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, it's loose. Mm. Um, it's a discussion, isn't it? It's a, we've all got champagne. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, yeah. I wouldn't come to this if that wasn't promised. <laughs> but she, I mean, this was how great her influence was, particularly with what quite obscure texts. Um, if she introduced a text to be read, it would get round town that this was like something that was amazing, and it would boost up a big run of it with translations because mm. people suddenly were going, "What are they reading there?" And we, mm. we have to be part of that. And it was very much the Richard and Judy's book club of its day. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That's what it was. Now that's yeah. more of a salon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, you're right. Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting about Hortense? If you Google her, the first image painting that comes up of her is of her looking very beautiful and then just a little nipple hanging out from the boob. <laughs> Did yeah. you see that? Yeah. And it's there's yeah. only a few paintings of her that are around, but that's one of the surviving ones. I think that might ones. be just your history is deciding <laughs> what pictures you get. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. It's interesting you'd have that painted in to a, an official portrait. Of, not official, but a portrait of you ends up with a bit of nipple in. Yeah. It's just a, a, a general portrait that you get done to show that you're a sexy person. Like um, Janet Jackson. Yeah, yeah, that was why she did that, wasn't it? But the it? thing yeah. is, with Janet Jackson, it was a malfunction, right? Where she quickly covered up. Mm. But with a painting, you'd have to sit there for about three days. That's yeah. a hell of a malfunction. falling out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the the artist was just too embarrassed you know when like someone has green in their teeth and yeah. they just mm-hmm. you want to say but you don't say it he's like oh, i'll just gotta paint it in i guess <laughs> <laughs> okay it is time for fact number three and that is james okay my fact this week is that according to their origin story 
the minions serve the most evil person on earth but they were conveniently frozen in a cave and unable to serve anyone between 1933 and 1945. <laughs> wow. Is this official Minions canon? I believe it is. Yeah, why yeah. is it? Yeah. It's, it's in, in the movie. It's in the movie. Is it's it? in the second yeah. movie, yeah. Oh, wow. So the dates, you've altered the dates there, but that is that is part of the period when they were frozen. I gave the dates for Hitler yeah. rather than the dates for the Minions. Exactly. Um, but basically, there's this thing on the internet that people keep doing this meme where they say ah oh, the minions they serve the most evil person but what were they doing during world war Two? and it's like right. a big joke that ah oh, they haven't thought of this but of course they have thought of it and it is in the movie which i haven't seen yeah <laughs> so we should, we should in... say who the minions are with these little yeah. yellow creatures who are in the film despicable me and yeah. then all the other and then the film minions and... yeah, so yeah, they were, they were yeah, henchmen yeah. that got their own spin-off series and minions was 2015 and in the opening sequence it tells you the history so it says that they serve various evil masters uh from the t-rex all the way through to when did they get out of the cave sorry to interrupt you dan so they go into the cave in 1812 that's when they first go in and they emerge in 1968 i think to avoid (laughs) being so obviously (laughs) avoiding the nazis so 1812 Um, would have been just after napoleon's retreat from moscow yeah yeah so that doesn't make sense well it's very cold in yeah they were treating exactly there we go all right i'm on board with the um with the lore I love it. I wonder who they're serving now. Who's the most evil person on a few candidates out there? None in this room. Sorry, I'm looking around. <laughs> um, the director, one of the one of the co-directors of the films, is uh, Pierre Coffin. Co- Pierre, Peter Coffin. Peter Coffin. Uh-huh. But his name doesn't actually Coffin in French doesn't mean coffin. What does it mean? Uh, I don't think it means no, anything. It but the word couffin means basket. <laughs> which is very close I really thought it was called Peter Coffin and then I thought it was called Peter Basket and actually he isn't called either <laughs> but he um, does the voices of yeah. lots of the minions right a lot of the yeah. minions yeah. all of them apart from maybe one yeah, <laughs> yeah well there's Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords yeah. does, does one does he voice them wow. no one literally one, oh, one wow, minion okay. and then this guy and someone else but there's this guy million. does 899 <laughs> Minions. Oh, wow. So there's another director, there's a co-director of the film. Yeah, so I think does who also it. does some minion voices. And the language sounds so difficult to do because every word is, I think, a real word from one language or another. Mm. I think there's some gibberish in there. There's gibberish there? as well. Oh, Mixed okay, in with yeah. loads of other languages. But I can, it's they sound so funny to listen to that. I just I love the sound of the minions' language. Like it's yeah, really, yeah, really funny. Have you seen them all? No, I, I haven't seen any of them. I've, Have you I've, seen I've any of them? Some, yeah, I've seen no. Minions in bits. You know, you walk in and out while a kid's watching a movie. Sure. You know, and then you're asked to leave the cinema because where's your kid? You know, and <laughs> you're like, all right, I'm out of here. Jeez. Um, yeah, he's cool, Coffin. And I think that one of the reasons that um, the Minions speak this combination of languages is that he is very multilingual, I think. So he's like half Indonesian, half French, grew up in Cambodia and Japan. Mm. And yeah, invented this language and interestingly when it's dubbed into other languages it gets changed because you notice that they say english words enough that you're like oh they must be talking about toast now or bananas famously but in other languages they'll sub those words for interesting that language so they'll still use the indonesian and the different places but then whenever there was an english word they use whatever country oh, you're in. yeah oh, yeah or just drop in more local words where that's they can. cool yeah his mum was a famous novelist wasn't she was she? N.H. Dinny Coffin's mum was called. Ooh, I'd never heard yeah. of her until I did this, but yeah. she is an Indonesian novelist and feminist. Oh, cool. Very nice. Um, at least two of the Minions films have been um, banned or altered by censors in China. Oh, really? <laughs> who uh, dislike various aspects of the plot. So there's, and I just, I really like this. So the film The Rise of Gru, which I think is one of the most recent ones, um, the Chinese censors added an, an entirely different bit of the film at the end of it clarifying that one of the characters who previously had been involved in a heist in the film, you know, fictional film, fictional <laughs> heist, everything, was caught and served 20 years in prison for the Amazing. heist. I mean, that's so good. Hell. <laughs> they also yeah. say that Gru returned to his family and his biggest accomplishment was his three children. Uh, and apparently the reason that they've done this most people think yeah. is to promote china's three child policy oh, no. which they've been trying to do to increase the birth rate over the last wow. few years wow god i'm just reading about uh, other animated villains oh, of various great. Kinds. okay and um so scar the lion king oh, yeah. yeah no spoilers please i haven't seen it i think i can avoid spoilers great who is sexier scar or mufasa According to just us, or according to you, are they both lions? Yep. 
Uh, equal. Mufasa. Mufasa. Yeah, okay, it says equal. <laughs> yeah, I find it, them both equally attractive. The idea that lions could be more or less sexy than each other is apparently completely impossible for James to compute. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I thought it was a subjective question. Do you find all... You must think there are some animals which are sexier than other animals in the same species. How about that buff kangaroo? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that that is true. Do you think like... of all humans as being equally sexy? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't see sexiness. Apart from my wife, of course, who's <laughs> slightly less sexy than ever. <laughs> Wait, doesn't your cat have a modelling contract, though? No, she doesn't. She's, Wait, she has, she, was she has appeared. Advert. She has appeared in some adverts. So you she... must think she's sexy. You don't have to be sexy to be in an advert. That's not what they were always casting no, for. Right, but the difference right. here is... Captain is that... Bird's... Well, what a terrible example. The sexiest man He's on so TV. He's hot, yeah. <laughs> can I just say I don't find my cat sexy? Yeah, you're allowed to say that. Yeah. It can I be a model weird. and not sexy. Um, it's, it's, the person, it's the human personality which is adding to the sexiness of these characters as well. Well, they've got, they've got voices, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. the human voices and, yeah. and speaking in English. Yeah, yeah. For me, I would say that physically, Mufasa definitely sexier, oh, yeah, but in Mufasa. terms of personality and voice, Scar, of course, no. is more sexy. Okay. Well, Scar's like old and manky. Looks no, but I know that's why I said. <laughs> no, I know. No, no. And he personality wise <laughs> is evil. Okay, well, can I say one of you is right and wrong? Oh. Mufasa is less sexy than Scar. Scar yeah. is the sexier one Untrue. physically and would be in the real world as well. Oh. In fact, specifically in the real world. So yeah. this is a study about what makes a lion sexy or unsexy. Mm-hmm. And for years they've been thinking oh, about... Come ma- on, you're talking from a lion's perspective. <laughs> that was the whole point. This is about what uh, mane darkness. Right, yeah. Because some, some lions have really, really light manes and some mm-hmm. have really, really dark ones. And, you know, scientists have been trying to work out for years. What, what Does this have any effect at all? And... Um, they just introduced these fake lines yeah. and they could swap the manes around uh, and you could attach them with Velcro so you could whip off a mane and then reattach it. And uh, the dark manes were very much preferred by the lady lions, mm-hmm. lionesses okay. as they're also known. But interestingly, dark maned lions have more abnormal sperm because really? they have heat stress because their li- manes are so dark they keep absorbing sunlight. Interesting. And right. they have to eat smaller meals as well because right. they get more heat stress and if they eat a massive great meal you know it warms you up. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, sometimes you have a huge meal you're like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. so hot. Oh, no, my sperm are deformed. Would you like a dessert? No, they're deformed enough already. That's why I make my husband dye his hair peroxide blonde before every meal. You've got to watch out. I'm sure that peroxide's good for him. (laughs) Um, Lex Luthor, do you know what made him evil? He's the villain in the Superman uh, universe. I don't. I don't know. I don't have a handle on what he... Where it's he came from? What it's, is he? He's just like a rich guy. He's a rich he? guy, but he was a scientist, and uh. it was basically Superman made him bald, and that is why bald. Yeah, as in no hair. So he used to have a huge amount of ginger hair on his head, and there was an incident between Superman and Lex Luthor mm. where they were in a science lab. Lex Luthor was trying to make something really good. Superman had to blow it out because something went a bit wrong. And in the big Superman blow that he did, it just pushed these chemicals onto Lex Luthor's head, made him bold. He was so furious, he became a supervillain. And wow. that's an overreaction. It's an overreaction. He's got temper issues. But, yeah. <laughs> what, what's amazing is this is a retroactive story to explain why he suddenly goes bold. Because, you know, part of like comic book artistry, they would hand it to sort of, as it was, ghost artists who right, would come yeah, in yeah, and yeah. do the sort of mm-hmm. comic right. strips and help them. Um, one of the guys who was in charge of it one week mistaken Lex Luthor for one of the bold henchmen and accidentally drew Lex Luthor as a bold-headed man. And so it was a total mistake and it well, ran and it for a couple out. of weeks. It went out and then you... another one went out and that just had to be it. So he had no hair. So the only mm. reason he's bold is an artistic mistake. Who by... the hell's proofreading this? That's like releasing a few scenes from The Lion King where a hyena plays Scar and no one notices. <laughs> and then what? Um, Lex Luthor would buck the trend of most supervillains because villains in fiction and particularly depictions of villains are generally more pointy Mm. and heroes yeah yeah there's this sense of that you know you can draw mickey mouse with three circles but (laughs) but if he was bad it would be triangles well yeah um so i was reading an explanation about this about the graphology of films and so So, you know darth vader literally has a triangle on the front of his face oh yes more scary but more sexy very often I mean, they genuinely are made to be a bit attractive. I think. Sorry, <laughs> Darth, Darth Vader. <laughs> He's got a dark mane, Darth Vader, yeah. actually. He so he is more attractive it. to female Vaders. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was uh, king of the pride. <laughs> Darth Vader. Um, <laughs> more Jesus like Christ. 
Well, the women actually are is quite not, sexy. Is he not sexy, Darth Vader? Darth Vader. He's um, got a sexy voice, hasn't have, he? Have you seen Under the Helmet? I haven't seen any of the. Okay, no. Don't look under the helmet. Don't look under the helmet. Keep oh, that helmet really? on. Yeah. If you're making out with Darth Vader, just keep that helmet on. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in Disney films, the female villains are acknowledged as sexy. In fact, there's it, there's a book called The Enchanted Ooh. Screen: The oh, Unknown yeah. History of Fairy Tale Films. Who are you thinking of? Which says that of, woman in The Little Mermaid. The big octopus. Ursula. Yeah. Pick the one example that actually does <laughs> Although she's got some nice lipstick on. There's arguments about whether or not she's an octopus because she's only oh. got six arms. Ah. But Wait. then... Human arms or, or octopus? She's well, here's the thing. She has tentacles, hasn't she? Right. I think. She has tentacles. The argument is she does have two yeah, human she... arms, which oh. makes it eight. Yeah. Which, yeah. But hang on. Isn't there a QI fact that octopuses have... Six legs and two arms. Two like pedipalps. Yeah, because yeah. they use their legs to walk Look and they the use their arms yeah. to grab things. So, so actually, she, she's a perfect octopus. Six legs, two arms. Yeah, I guess so. Except that she's a mer something, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, I don't know. Do you count the human part in with the octopus uh, part? Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anna, I think I you were know. saying I think something you're about too much time on some weird forum, Stan. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> I was just saying that in Snow White, that um, queen in Snow White is acknowledged according to this book. Uh, it says, as is well known, animators all preferred drawing her when they were making Snow White because she was very complex as a woman and much more erotic mm. than oh. Snow White. Oh, and she isn't anything of Cruella de Vil. She is, and mm. in sort of the they're kind of glamorous. Uh, yeah, glamorous. they're glamorous. Yeah. Certainly, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's glam. I think it's glam. Yeah, no, they're glamorous. They're powerful. They're independent. They know what they want. They want a skin. Dogs to make a coat. <laughs> I like a woman with ambitions. Uh, and be sold. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing that they do often have uh, villains, I think this is more men than women actually, uh, but they often have terrible skin. Uh, and yeah. dermatologists are not happy about this because uh, they say it may foster a tendency towards prejudice in society. Mm. Uh, because all the bad guys in movies have bad skin, if you see someone with bad skin, you're going to think they're bad. And really, there's quite a lot of people who are saying that really you shouldn't do this. We should stop having scars. We should stop having... Yes. You know, I'm well, trying to think who has bad skin. Well, for example, almost all James Bond villains. Even I'm thinking in the... Christoph Waltz in anything he's in yeah. has like uh, exactly. scars, doesn't uh, he? But the, the, the most recent Bond movie has two villains, both of whom have facial disfigurements. Uh, Javier Bardem has one in a previous uh, yeah. film. And it's like... Bad in Roger Rabbit. There yeah. is a, there, like there is a lot of it when yeah, you start no, looking. Quite. I thought Absolutely. you just meant acne because I think I mean scars are kind of cool, but being covered in acne, I can see that that would like be in, like no, it's insulting. People, no, no, no. But it's like it's lots of people who suffered facial scarring for whatever yeah. like for whatever reason, and then you see like film after film after film, the baddie you know is a baddie yeah. because they've suffered some facial scarring. Two Face, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 full of it as well. When it you start, you do, you do realize, yeah, yeah, this is this is mad. Yeah, yeah that's definitely. true. Just another backstory and another World War Two related backstory. Oh, yeah. Donald Duck. There's a theory about him that I quite like. So basically... <laughs> Is but... it anything to do with his corkscrew-shaped penis? <laughs> <laughs> like the old ducks have? I think you can make probably make it to do with that. I believe in you. Um, but before World War Two, Donald Duck existed, obviously, as part of the Disney franchise. Lots of shorts with him. But he was quite a light-hearted, fun-loving duck. Can I just quickly say, lots of shorts, but no trousers. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, so as we know now, Donald Duck, bad temper, right? It's what I he's see. famous for. He's always shouting at his oh, nephews. Yeah. He's very... That's uncanny, James. That That's a good impression. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. It's not a good tempered noise. It's not a happy no. noise. Um, so he changed. And the theory is that he it was the war that changed him because he is the only <laughs> character in the Disney franchise who actually saw active service. So you know Stop the it. <laughs> He was on the beaches at Normandy. He only wanted a piece of bread. <laughs> What do you mean he saw active service? He says all those cartoons. You know all the propaganda yeah. cartoons that Disney released during the war. Loads and loads of propaganda cartoons. So all the characters featured in these, but they didn't go actually into battle except Donald Duck, who did. I in believe... which theatre? What do you mean? In which theatre of the war did he fight? Um, he <laughs> The Pacific. Sorry, I didn't. I, I actually think it might have been the Pacific. Well, he is war. a duck. It would be make sense for him to be in water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He should be uh, navy yeah. in yeah. Any, if yeah. he's in any of the services. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I can't remember. Uh, to be fair, but he's he's seen serving, shown serving in the U.S. military in one of the propaganda films, um, fighting an air battle against the Nazis. Oh, an and air battle. 
Well, oh. he is a duck, after all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense that he should be in the Air Force. He's the perfect weapon. <laughs> Doesn't even need a plane. Mm. No. Um, yeah. Wow. And you're saying that he's got PTSD, well, effectively. Well, straight after the World War II, his temper got worse. He became very sensitive to loud noises. Uh, you know, if his wow. nephews make a racket, he gets upset. And that's, that's the idea. And actually, in a recent DuckTales, he had to have anger management hmm. courses. Wow. So that's the theory. He's got PTSD from the war. And all the evidence is there, I think. Right. Whenever anyone was shooting, they would go, Duck! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it's time for our final fact of the show, and that is Andy. My fact is that every barge firm on the River Thames used to have its own signature whistle. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. This fact, Andy, I reckon if you put all of your facts into an AI, yeah. <laughs> this is what they might come up with. London whistling and a means of transport <laughs> that is not very popular anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Se- right. Seemingly dull. But really interesting when you get into it. Well, let's find out. Yeah, exactly. You be the judge at home. Yeah. So anyway, this was on a British Library blog post about the decline of whistling, which is absolutely meat and drink to me, obviously. And it's about Leitermann. Leitermann were the uh, men, uh, almost exclusively, who steered barges to their destinations and barges are basically flat-bottom boats that were used to transport lots of cargo. So you might dock your ship in the river because there isn't a proper dock. You just drop it in the middle of the river and then you have to unload it, and the barges are the things that go back and forth, right. you know, emptying them out or loading them up. And there were different barge firms, and every barge firm had its own whistle. And it was so you could identify yourself at night. There we go. Whose was that? Yeah, that's oh, a, yeah, the, yeah, the sexiest yeah. of all the barge firms. Yeah. James obviously doesn't see any difference between sexiest <laughs> and me, barge firms. To me, barges <laughs> are all the same. <laughs> um, yeah. So barges. Barges are great. The, the apprenticeship used to be five years long just for the, the really? Thames. Yeah, wow, Anna's been on a barge. You've looked after a barge, haven't you? Yeah, Have you? Um, well, a canal boat, so not one of the big Thames barges, which you had to sail. Oh, Must narrow. be the same. No, uh, j- 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 James, please. We're going to get deeply into the difference between a narrow boat, a barge, all of it. Um, <laughs> but the yeah. apprenticeships lasted for so long, didn't they? So they yeah. were introduced, I think, in 1555. And that was when Parliament established the Company of Watermen and Lightermen because... You know they need to regulate the industry, and and I think it only stopped maybe five hundred years later. And I think it was two thousand and seven. The government suggested maybe we don't need to spend five years learning. More so, more than five hundred years. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it is tough, but come on. Also, there are no working barges on the Thames anymore, so it does seem quite weird. Do you we think it's a good thing that we stopped people learning how to barge and like getting them to do maths instead these days? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Does you can weird? now do it. It takes just two years of training now and six months of local knowledge training, which is. But then are people just trashing barges into each other? And yeah, it's woefully know. inadequate. It's ridiculous. <laughs> You've seen the Thames here. <laughs> so you're saying there's no barges these days, but they're clearly. Well, they, are. there are barges for other purposes, so it's not really for freight it's anymore. It yeah. It's for tourism or for taking um, like restaurant barges. Mm. Or I don't think there are any that are having iron deposited from Europe yeah. and carrying them. Yeah. Well, there were two. Exactly. There were two right you had you had the lighterman which is carrying all those goods uh back and forth but then you had the watermen who were the people that carried people across Mm. which was massively important thing back in the day because getting across from the south side of london to the north was an incredibly hard thing sometimes or the other way or the other way even if you why would you go south um (laughs) i I live south uh (laughs) the yeah so uh, people like peeps wrote about it saying you know it was the quickest way to get across because often the cl- the clogging on the bridges would be so great. Well, it was you just... say bridges it was Sorry bridge, wasn't you. it? Bridge, yeah. London Bridge was the only one east of Kingston, which is a lot of river with one bridge across it. So yeah. they were they were massively important. And get this, I love this. So loads of their trade came from transporting people to the theatre. So that was why you would go to the South Bank, because mm-hmm. it was where all the theatres were. Yeah. So like that was a huge bit of trade for the watermen. And then when Covent Garden set up, where mm. we're recording this podcast, yeah. Their trade suffered massively because yeah. there were suddenly theatres north of the river. No one had to cross the river anymore to go mm. and see a show. But you could still get carried down down the river, couldn't you, if you lived in Chelsea and you had to get to Covent Garden. Oh, yeah. That's um, true, although there were other means of getting from yes. Chelsea to Covent Garden. So they were so angry about the loss of their trade mm-hmm. and they campaigned so much uh, to Charles I when he was king that in 1635... He banned taxi cabs in the city unless they were travelling three miles 
out of the city. No way yeah. to keep the barges really? in business. Keep the barges happy. I try to find any notable lightermen. So mm. I, the closest I found, uh, well, Danny Dyer, who's a quite famous uh, character. His family, he came from a long line of lightermen. Really? Um, Is that right? That's interesting. That seems classic. But one that I thought was a bit relevant to us was I found that a comedian um, came from a long line of lightermen. And it was a comedian who was called Malcolm Hardy. And during the boom of alternative comedy in the, in London, particularly, he was a great voice, and he used, used to open clubs, and they were known as dangerous clubs because you would you would have heckles from the audience. He would heckle the act coming. You know, I don't know about this act, next act. They might be a bit shit. I think they are. Please welcome to the stage. You know, and then bring Dan Schreiber. Cheers, welcome. Thank you. Um, wow. So he was he was an amazing character, and he wasn't a lightsman himself, but he did live on the Thames. He had a boat that he lived on, and sadly. Uh, quite a few years ago he fell into the Thames and died but what is interesting about Malcolm Hardy is he's very relevant to us and even the listeners of this show because he opened up a club in Greenwich called Up the Creek which is where we do all of our uh, live shows often in London and that is the Malcolm Hardy club have you heard of the Trojan Barge? No No. so this was during the 80 years war uh, and the Anglo-Spanish War, because they kind of coincided with each other. And it was the city of Breda. And the Dutch and the English were trying to capture it. And the way they did it was with a Trojan barge. Um, there was a canal or a small, like um, a shallow river that went into the city. And they had a barge with a load of peat in it, a load of moss. Nice. One for you. <laughs> and they all hid underneath the peat and they got into the city and then jumped out and then took the city. That's brilliant. And it was kind of like one of the turning points of that war. Really? Yeah. So wait, did they, when you say the barge with a load of peat, they didn't put Pete on top of the barge yeah. and disguise it. They did. They disguised they the barge. They hid underneath. The, no, no. The barge. Everyone knew it was a barge. <laughs> okay, okay. Everyone knew it was a barge full of peat. But what they didn't know is that there were soldiers in between the barge and the peat. Mm. That's incredible. Right. Uh, and the soldiers used the peat to kind of hide themselves even once they got off the barge. So they, people, the people of Breda were being attacked by moss men. This that's is like so the moving good. forest in Macbeth, basically. Yes, you're being attacked like that. by that's a unbelievable. Bunch of peat. That's very yeah, that is so cool. Yeah, but th- as in, did they have to snorkel through the peat? Because peat, I think, of as being very heavy, very dark. Uh, if you're lying with peat basically buried under peat, that's not good for Probably you. Probably the amount of peat above them wasn't so much that they all suffocated. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see that. Yeah, I I'm see. just imagining like a little flat hat that you're kind yeah. of wearing. Well, yeah but you can't kind of too little peat because otherwise they'll see right isn't there something under that peat <laughs> there was probably a goldilocks in. amount of peat that they yeah, used yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was the amount that they used I brilliant think. well that's military planning for you that's logistics <laughs> <laughs> they actually did do a, a previous run with another peat barge um, so they? yeah they did it with just like one or two soldiers to see if it was going to work and it did work and then the next time they did it properly that's so funny what do those soldiers then do once they're in the city but there are only two <laughs> Pete get your Pete <laughs> anyone want some Pete fellow yeah. Breda people <laughs> I don't have any frame of reference of the 80 years war no and nor do I in this <laughs> short paragraph that I've written uh, but yeah it was basically the. I think it was just um, I'm going to be wrong what, but i think it was just before the glorious revolution so i think it's whenever that was 1688 mm. oh, yeah. yeah it's one of those it's one of those mid-european mid-century wars yeah, yeah. they all merge the 80 years war the 100 years war the 27 years war yeah. all... they weren't very creative with the names were they <laughs> i've got one more barge anecdote for you <laughs> yeah this is, this is actually sent in by a listener this is sent in by hannah watson a while ago in 2004 there was a sightseeing barge trip happening in texas right on a lake called lake travis there were oh, six yeah. people on board Unfortunately, the barge then passed a place called Hippie Hollow, which contains what was certainly then the only public nude beach in Texas. Every single person on the barge moved to one side of the boat in the hope of seeing somebody naked, and it capsized and it dipped them all in the water. Beautiful. Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. James? At James Harkin. Andy? At Andrew Hunter M. And Anna? You can email podcast.qi.com. That's right. Or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. It's got all of our previous episodes up there. It's also got a link to Club Fish, our secret members club, where you can hear all sorts of bonus content. Do that now. Otherwise, Come back here next week. We've got another episode waiting for you. We'll see you then. Goodbye.